Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sari Ivry. I'm your host. Today, the evolution of Leonard Cohen. How do you write a Leonard Cohen song? That's a tough question, even for Leonard Cohen. It's not the lyrics that are the problem. Leonard Cohen was a poet long before he sang a single note. And it's never been a question of finding the right melody. The challenge in writing a Leonard Cohen song comes down to a struggle between how the words and the melodies go together, about how the entire thing should sound, about creating just the right mix of profound and accessible. So says Leah Leibowitz. Leibowitz works with us at Tablet Magazine, and he's also the author of a new book about Leonard Cohen. The book is called A Broken Hallelujah, Rock and Roll, Redemption, and the Life of Leonard Cohen, and it comes out this week after four years of Leonard Cohen immersion. That immersion led Leibowitz to a theory on how the performer finally figured out how to make his songs meaningful and successful at the same time. I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you to listen to something truly terrible. Oh, sisters of mercy, they are not departed or gone. They were waiting for me when I thought that I just can't go. That was Sisters of Mercy by Leonard Cohen. And of course, that wasn't Leonard Cohen singing. It was Sting who managed to turn the song, which is so haunting and beautiful in the original, into some Celtic kitsch you never want to hear again. But it's not Sting's fault, or at least not entirely. I spent the last four years writing a book about Leonard Cohen, which means that I spent so many hours listening to his music. And I came to realize that Leonard Cohen's songs, like all of life's finest stuff, were not as simple as they first appeared. Like a decade-old scotch, say, they were layered and demanding and unwelcoming to anyone who was just looking to knock back a shot and feel good fast. And the first person to realize this about Leonard Cohen's songs was Leonard Cohen. Cohen became a singer relatively late in life. He was already an established poet and a novelist when, at 33, he picked up a guitar and started writing songs. By the time he began work on his first album, in 1967, he was nearly a decade older than Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and Joni Mitchell and all the others who dominated the popular music scene. Stepping into the studio, Cohen had a tough question to work through. What should his songs actually sound like? It wasn't a trivial question. Being a poet and being used to a certain economy of emotion, Cohen wanted his music to sound as sparse as possible to give his lyrics just enough support, but not too much, so they wouldn't steal the show. All the sisters of mercy, they are not departed or gone. They were waiting for me when I thought that I just can't go on. And they brought me their comfort And later they brought me this song Oh, I hope you run into them You who've been traveling so long To the album's producer, John Simon, the songs sounded overly austere. Simon is the man responsible for so many landmark recordings by artists like Simon and Garfunkel, Janis Joplin, and the band. 
and he thought Cohen needed some dressing up, some icing on the cake. Listening to Sisters of Mercy, for example, the producer came up with an image of loving nuns pulling into town in some mobile healing unit, some ethereal ambulance. To capture this idea and sound, he dragged a hurdy-gurdy into the studio, which he hoped would convey a sense of motion and carnival and streets. Cohen hated it, as he did so many of Simon's suggestions. He liked the idea of female backup singers, which became a staple of his sound from then on, but he resisted all other attempts to introduce fancy effects or instruments. He wanted people to listen to his voice and to his words. Eventually, the exasperated producer bowed out and let Cohen complete the recording on his own terms. But the technology back then wasn't what it is now, and the layers of sound from the studio recording were difficult to excise. Listen to Sisters of Mercy closely enough, and you can still hear that hurdy-gurdy playing in the background. They will bind you with love that is graceful and green as a stem. Cohen sounded austere on his first album. By the time he released his third in 1971, he sounded downright bleak. His fans noticed. In England, for example, the press, with a wink and a nod, took to calling him Laughing Len and suggested that his music alone could drive you to suicide. Cohen's songs, not to mention his career, needed something else, another dimension, something to help people connect to it emotionally, and Cohen seemed to understand that. Maybe it was just that Cohen had become a more seasoned musician, or maybe it was life, which in the early 70s saw him fathering two children and traveling to Israel to entertain the troops during the Yom Kippur War. Whatever it was, by 1974, Cohen was ready for a change, and John Lissauer was there to help him achieve it. At the time, Lissauer was a young and relatively unknown producer. He listened to Cohen's songs and felt their calling. They were stunning, but very stark. They didn't need interpretation. What they needed was underscoring to bring out their essence and their depth. Lissauer reached out to a friend who collected African percussion instruments and borrowed a few. He arranged for strings. The resulting album, New Skin for the Old Ceremony, was more vibrant than any that came before. I asked my father, I said, Father, change my name. The one I'm using now, it's covered up with fear and filth and cowardice and shame. Yes, lover, 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 come back to me. Yes, lover, 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 come back to me. With a few detours, this was a turning point in Cohen's career. He was always a prophet. But now he had finally learned how to come down from the mountain and talk to us, his listeners. But he still didn't have a hit song, the kind that everybody knew and loved and without which you couldn't really make it big in the music business. John Lissauer thought he heard such a song when Cohen approached him in 1984 and asked him to work on another album. It was a song about love and lust and God with biblical allusions and a melody that perfectly captured the song's spiritual message, namely that love and life were both flawed but ultimately glorious. A minor fall, a major lift. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care 
There was talk of engaging a big gospel choir to sing the refrain, but Cohen and Lissard didn't want that. They collected a few people at random, members of the band and their friends, and asked them to sing. The song, they realized, was not just for the pros with the golden voices, it was everyone's hallelujah. You know how the story ends, right? The studio bosses listened to the recording and turned it down. Look, Leonard, said Walter Yetnikoff, the legendary monarch of Columbia Records, we know you're great, but we don't know if you're any good. The album wasn't released in the States until years later. And Hallelujah did become a very big hit, but ironically, never really for Cohen. Well, maybe there's a God above, but all I've ever learned from love That was Jeff Buckley. His version is gorgeous. It's also, I think, completely wrong. Buckley's Hallelujah is the hallelujah of the orgasm, the kind that allows itself complete spiritual and sexual release. Just listen to the way his voice trembles. Cohen's is never that. Cohen's Hallelujah is both holy and broken an idea that's hard enough to convey in words and almost impossible to capture in song. This is why we have so, so many covers of Hallelujah that are so, so awful. Right now, with more than 53 million records sold and a new album on the horizon, one of our stars is back, taking a night off from his world tour. With Hallelujah, give it up for Michael Bolton. For a while, these awful covers of Cohen seemed to be all that we needed. In 2008, for example, one song occupied the top two spots in the British charts for the first time in 51 years. The song was Alleluia, and neither version was Cohen's. One was Jeff Buckley's, and the other was Alexandra Burke's, a contestant on the televised talent show X Factor. Why would anyone but diehard Cohen fans listen to his songs when others were on hand to give them catchier, less demanding spins? That's a tough question to answer. Maybe it's because hearing so many bad covers finally made us cherish the original. Maybe it's that Leonard Cohen, now almost 80, has finally mastered the very difficult task of writing a Leonard Cohen song. 
But his concert tours now sell out, and his most recent album, released in 2012, became the first ever in his career to make it to Billboard's Top 10 chart. It's clear that we're finally listening to Leonard Cohen, and all I have to say to that is hallelujah. I'd love to speak with Leonard. He's a sportsman and a shepherd. He's a lazy bastard living in a suit. But he does say what I tell him, even though it isn't welcome. He just doesn't have the freedom to refuse. He will speak these words of wisdom like a sage, a man of vision, though he knows he's really nothing but the brief elaboration of a tube. Going home without my sorrow Going home sometime tomorrow Going home to where it's better than before Going home without my burden Going home behind the curtain Going home without the costume that I wore Liel Leibowitz is a senior writer at Tablet Magazine. His new book is called A Broken Hallelujah, Rock and Roll, Redemption, and The Life of Leonard Cohen. It's just out from W.W. Norton. You should go get yourself a copy. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Ivory. We thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll do it again next week.